We're going to begin because I've got a lot of material to cover. Those of you getting handouts can uh, listen if you would, and uh, you can be with me. Introduction. It must be remembered that modernism and postmodernism are philosophies and not religions. However, their impact on religious beliefs and practices are immeasurable. Uh, certainly, the greatest impact is seen in uh, religious belief and practice, and also uh, educational philosophy. Uh, so those two areas are greatly impacted by postmodernism and modernism. Modernism and postmodernism both contain challenges for the Christian. If you get nothing else out of this series, that's what I want you to glean, that both are fraught with difficulties for the Christian, as well as some ways they are helpful. I say that because uh, we are modernists. Uh, anybody here that's older than uh, 20 years of age have been steeped in modernism in ways we don't even realize that we have. But it's been the prevailing philosophy and thought uh, since the time of the Reformation. So we are modernists. We're used to it. We don't even see many times its fallacies. And uh, so there's been in Christendom a ranting and raving against postmodernism. And one of the things I, I want to do is show, yes, there are problems with it, but there are ways in which Postmodernism is a friend to Christianity. So, how do we respond uh, to uh, some of the philosophical ideas that we are encountering today? Uh, how do we respond as Christians to them? Uh, that's where this is all heading. A. The challenges of modernism come in the form of direct challenges to truth. Much of modernism stands in direct contradiction to what the Word of God teaches, and it renders the Bible... <coughs> Worthy. I'll say more about that, but the emphasis is the Bible is not trustworthy as a result of modernism. The challenges of postmodernism come in the form of understanding the truth. Postmodernism trivializes what the Word of God teaches. It renders the Bible unauthoritative. So the, the challenge there is different. I'll unpack that. There are two main issues when it comes to truth. That is... How is truth known? And to what degree can truth be known? That is the crux of the difference between modernism and postmodernism. How is truth known? And to what degree can truth be known? So review from last week. Truth in modernism is discovered and fully knowable. Truth is discovered through legitimate foundations which are based on empirical evidence one foundation would be the laws of science. Truth is then discovered through the proper application of a method of reason built on a legitimate foundation. In this instance, truth is defined as the laws of science. That method we looked at last week is the scientific method. If you follow the scientific method, you are going to arrive at truth in modernism. Application. The modernist challenge for the Christian. Modernism has sought to discover the truth contained in the scriptures. Modernists do not accept that the Bible is true, but rather that the Bible contains the truth. For the modernist, the goal is to discover the truth contained in the Bible. In order to do this, one must strip away all the myths and false traditions to arrive at the truth. Example, because miracles cannot be duplicated, and they break the laws of science, they must be dismissed as myths. We all know 
that someone cannot walk on water. Therefore, if Jesus is said to walk on water, we know that's a myth. Uh, we know that didn't really happen. That didn't, that didn't really take place. That's not the historical Jesus. So, miracles are just off uh, the radar because we know that they're not true. Because we know by science that they break the laws of science. Similarly, the virgin birth of Christ must be dis- dismissed for it violates all the truth that we have concerning the birth process. We know how birth takes place. We live in a, a day and age of reason, of understanding. We understand such things as eggs and sperm. And if there isn't sperm, the egg isn't going to be fertilized. So how in the world can you have a virgin birth? We know better. It can't mean that. That is the the emphasis of modernism. For the modernists, there is a never-ending pursuit to find the historical Jesus in the Bible. For the modernists to discover truth in the Bible, one must remove all the contradictions and inconsistencies in the Bible. One of the basic tenets of modernism is that two con- contradictory statements cannot both be true. Let me repeat that. Two contradictory statements cannot both be true. Uh, one is true, the other is false, or both may be false, but both cannot be true. So, number one, the synoptic accounts in the Gospels must be synthesized. In other words, the modernist challenge for Christianity has been to, to try to explain the seeming contradictions in the Word of God. So apologetics really focuses on that. So if you're going to be preaching through the, the Gospels, for example, one of the things you have to reckon with, one of the things you have to deal with, is that depending on whether you're reading Luke or one of the other Gospel accounts, the order of temptations is different. So was the first temptation, Jesus being taken up in a mount, was the first temptation turning the bread into uh, the stone into bread. What were the correct orders of the temptations? Second one, and there are loads of these. How many times did Peter deny Christ before the cock crowed? Uh, that becomes a big issue. Did, the co- did Peter deny Christ three times, then the cock crows? Or does, the, does Peter deny Christ, the cock crows? Peter denies Christ, the cock crows? Peter denies Christ, the cock crows? Did the cock crow once? Did the cock crow three times? You're probably sitting there, who cares? But it is a way to, to uh, undermine the Word of God and say it's not trustworthy. It's not reliable. It doesn't have the truth because it contradicts itself. So I preach through uh, John and never mention the whole issue of the cock crowing, because it's less significant today than it once was. Secondly, the contradictions in Scripture must be removed. There are loads. One, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Which is it? Do you answer a fool or don't you answer a fool? And this would be seen as a contradiction. They both can't be true. They're mutually exclusive. Either you talk to a fool or you don't talk to a fool. Now, we understand how this is not contradictory. We understand how in some instances you need to talk to a fool and put him in his place. In other instances, to talk to a fool is a waste of time. 
We understand that. But, but that's the attack of modernism. Number four, the evangelical, evangelical response to modernists, attack on the scripture, has been one of Christian evidences. Proofs come in the form of seeking scientific explanations for the miracles and providing historical facts. So, you try to meet uh, fire with fire. So, the, the issue then becomes, well, how do you explain these things? Well, unfortunately, what has happened as miracles become something other than the breaking of the known laws of science. And so what happens is, in evangelicalism, there is an attempt to explain away the miracles. They really occurred, but in actuality they aren't miracles. They're scientific explanation as how this took place. So that uh, the place we thought that the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea is not where they really crossed. They crossed in a swampy area where they could walk across it so that the... Uh, Turning of the Nile into blood was not really turning the Nile into blood, but, but there is an algae that occurs every so often in Egypt that, that gives it a, a reddish tint to the Nile River, and that's really what took place. And there are these desires to, to come up with scientific explanations for miracles or to trivialize miracles. And in conservative circles, that has become much more common. And that is... Miracles take on a definition that is contrary to the Word of God. In the Word of God, a miracle is uh, a sign, a wonder. It is something extraordinarily out of place. Which would stand in contra contradiction to a Pentecostal idea of expect a miracle every day. By very nature, miracles are rare. It would be improper to speak of, quote, the miracle of childbirth. How many have heard that? Miracle of childbirth. Childbirth isn't a miracle. It's not something that never happens. It's not totally unusual. Uh, there's a pregnant lady here in our, in our midst tonight. Okay, she's not weird. Uh, something isn't strange going on in her body. Well, she may be weird, but not because she's pregnant. Okay, so... Uh, And it's not a mystery of how it happened, okay? So we're not going there either. But there's, there's no mystery to it. It's not, it's not a miracle. Yes, it's neat and it's, it's awesome and wondrous, but it's not a miracle in the true sense of the word. Okay, moving on. B, form criticism seeks to harmonize the gospel's accounts so they're not contradictory, but rather complementary. And then... That is the defense. And then the offense of apologetics in a modernist world is to attack science and try to demonstrate its inconsistencies, uh, the way in which uh, it holds the contradictory ideas and thoughts. B. Truth in postmodernism is subjective and unknowable. Immanuel Kant, in the Critique of Pure Reason, argued for a position that has become an axiom of postmodernism. He argued that self does not so much discover what is objectively out there in the world, but projects order creatively upon the world. Postmodernism rejects the concept of foundations and methods. Postmodernism is deconstructionism, or the removal of structures. In other words, it tears down the uh, methodologies that have been used to try to ascertain uh, truth. They expose their 
limitations. So you need to understand the hermeneutic circle. So let me talk about that for a moment. Postmodern deconstruction boldly argues there is no escape from the hermeneutical circle. None whatsoever. A hermeneutical circle. A hermeneutics is the science of understanding. It is the process by which you understand. So biblical hermeneutics is teaching you a method of studying the Bible. And in postmodernism, there is no escape from this hermeneutical circle. Now, what does that mean? As for words, not only is their meaning constrained by other words, structuralism, but words are viciously self-limiting. So, example, how do you convey what a word means? Answer, by using other words. That's the hermeneutical circle. There is no way to get beyond defining words, which ultimately are the means of communicating truth, than by using other words. You see, the last step in the scientific theory is communicate your results. Well, how are you going to communicate your results? You've got to use words. And what do those words mean? Well, you're going to use other words to describe what those words mean. Therefore, you never can get outside of the sermonical circle. You can never get away from words. In other words. Okay. So, in the strongest form of deconstruction, not only is all meaning bound up in tre- uh, irretrievably with the knower, rather than with the text, but words themselves never have reference other than other words, and even then with an emphasis on irony and ambiguity. The plain meaning of the text subverts itself. In other words, there is no such thing as a plain meaning. Language cannot, in the nature of the case, refer to objective reality. Words only refer to other words. So, one might argue, no, words are objective. For example... What do the words green tree mean? Well, that's easy. I don't have to use words. I can use the object of truth. I can point to a green tree. I can say, there it is. That's what I mean by a green tree. It's that. Look at it. It's objective. It's out there. It's visible. You can see it. You can taste it. You can touch it. It's objective. The postmodernists would say, no, 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 no. It is subjective. How do you know when you see a green tree, it's what I see? How do you know that you understand the color green in the same way I understand the color green? How do we really know we're talking about the same thing? You can say, well, look at it, but how do I know that what you see and what I see are the same thing? What about the person who's colorblind? They may see something quite different. And how do we know that it's not really me that's colorblind, as opposed to the other person that's colorblind? How can you objectively know that the thing that we are talking about is, in fact, the very same thing? The postmodern would say, it's impossible. You can't. You can't be sure. So, but how do you know that the person you were talking... Uh, okay, I did all that. Number three. Illustrated in the issues surrounding President Clinton's testimony. Uh, if you can remember back to uh, President Clinton and the uh, charges that were brought against him for perjury, for uh, lying under oath, remember that whole thing? I hope you can remember that because it's fascinating. Because it's postmodernism in action. 
If there is ever a good example of postmodernist thinking, it's President Clinton. And I don't say that necessarily pejoratively. It's just a reality. Uh, he, he went to Oxford. He's been steeped in postmodernism. And he has a postmodern mindset. His mind works that way. And so, A, did President Clinton lie or tell the truth when he was under oath? Did he perjure himself? Was President Clinton, quote, alone with Monica Lewinsky? That became a huge issue. Did he lie about being alone with Monica Lewinsky? Answer, it depends on what the word alone and is means. That's what he said. It depends on what you mean by alone. The word alone is ambiguous and vague. Did it mean that they were the only two people in the Oval Office at the same time? Or did it mean that, that he was in a situation where it was not, uh, where it, he could be expected to have a knock on the door at any moment? He's in, in a, a busy uh, White House and there was no expectation of privacy. There was no expectation of being alone. So, what are you talking about when you're talking about being alone? See, how does one know what these words mean? One has to know what the, and now this is backwards. It shouldn't be interpreted, it should be knower. What the knower, President Clinton, meant by these words. See, in order to say he lied, you have to know what he meant. And you have to know what he understood. And how can you know what he meant and what he understood other than him telling you? How can you get beyond that? One of the other issues, without getting too explicit, if you remember, but it's significant, is he stood up boldly and pointed his finger and said dramatically, I never had sex with that woman. Remember that? I never had sex with that woman. Well, in the trial over perjury, it turns out he didn't have intercourse. But there was other sexual activity. But he said he meant intercourse. They said, no, the definition for sex is broader than that. It includes more activity than just intercourse. What did he mean by it? Becomes the issue. So, two, there is no argument as to what was said, what words were used, but a tremendous argument as to what was said, what those words meant. We know what words were used. There is no objective way of knowing what those words meant to President Clinton. There is no disputing the facts, but there is no facts. You see, in, in this postmodern concept. In the trial, I remember this distinctly. It just screamed at me when I heard it. In frustration, one of the panelists asked the question, quote, what does the whole truth and nothing but the truth mean? Because the president took an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And one of the panelists looked at the lawyer and said, what does that mean? And his lawyer, Mr. Craig, said, I don't know. I don't know what the whole truth is. Nobody can know the whole truth. And, of course, eventually, uh, President Clinton was found innocent. How can you know? That's postmodernism. That's postmodernism. That knowing is irretrievably locked up with words. And words don't adequately communicate. 
Words are subjective. The person who's speaking the word may mean something different than the person who hears the word. See, the Christian response to postmodernism needs to be discussed in the future. It is not good enough to rant and rave against postmodernism. We must answer postmodernism. So, three, the challenges of modernism and postmodern Christianity are, are very different. The ultimate question for, for the Christian in modernism is, why does evil exist? Here, I, I, I tried to get to the Trump question, okay? What's the biggest problem? Well, it is, for the modernist, why does evil exist? Number one, two mutually exclusive ideas cannot both be true. That's the basis of, of uh, modernism. The premise for the Christian is that God is both good and sovereign. So then, why does evil exist? Either God is not good because evil exists, or God is not sovereign because evil exists, but he can't be both good and sovereign. That has been the age-old question in modernism for the Christian. That's been the trump card. I remember years ago. Is Jessica here tonight? Jessica Herb? Yeah, there she is. Remember you're doing that question at college? I remember sitting down and going over with that with you and helping you try to write a paper on uh, why evil exists. Uh, that, was, that was typical. I would submit to you, if you go to college today, you're probably not going to write a paper on why evil exists. But let me tell you why. B, the answers that have been given to that question are fascinating. So what has been the Christian answer to why evil exists? Well, it depends if you're Arminian or Calvinistic. If you believe in a free will or you believe in the sovereignty of God. If you believe in free will, then the sovereignty of God is attacked. Why does evil exist? Because God gives free will. And there are things that God really doesn't want to happen, but because God has given mankind free will, then they do evil. And so, that's why evil exists. The answer, from a Reformed perspective, is to uh, look at the word good. And say, well, good has to be understood in a different way than we normally understand it. Good, in this sense, is that it fulfills the purpose of God. It accomplishes His will. And in that sense, it is good. But both of them, in reality, duck the real issue. And that is that evil is not good. Evil is evil. And God is sovereign. God is in control. So, how do you explain that? Number four. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll come back to that. Number four. The question of why evil exists is no problem to the postmodern. The postmodernist is very ready to accept we can't know everything. That's a basic tenet. You see, modernism says there's an explanation for everything and someday we're going to know it all. Postmodernism says, oh, there's a lot of mysteries in this world and there are things we can't know. So, the postmodernist is not only, is it not only acceptable, but appreciated when the Christian says, I don't know. In postmodernism, he's being authentic and truthful. So, you get, it's like playing a game, and you know, you got certain cards, and, uh, and uh, somebody plays the, the card that says, uh, okay, Christian, why does evil exist? Well, you've got a card that you can play on top of that that says, I don't know. And it trumps it. 
And that's perfectly legitimate. Because that person has a lot of things they can't explain. So it's okay to say that. It's freeing. It's wonderful. You can forget about why evil exists. You can simply say, I don't know. It's a mystery. God hasn't revealed it. God hasn't told us. And the reality is, that is much, a much better answer than any of the previous ones that I gave to you. Because the scripture doesn't answer why evil exists. So, if you look above number four, see, typical of a modern response in apologetics is the book Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Josh McDowell. What a sequel to it. More evidence that demands a verdict. And the picture is a gavel. And the idea is, look at reason. Look at truth. Come to recognition. Here are the proofs. And you must believe. Okay. In postmodernism, see... The typical response is, and a book that I've used, and I used when we were talking about evil, I've asked the Board of Elders to read, is The God I Don't Understand. The God that I can't fully explain. And notice, that's not a misprint, the I is small. God is huge. I am small. God is inexhaustible. I'm finite. I'm limited. There are things I will never, ever know about God in this lifetime. It's a quite different approach. So in modernism, you have to have all the answers. In postmodernism, you don't have to have all the answers. That's one of the main differences for Christianity. B, the ultimate question for the postmodernism is on what basis can you say that Christianity is the only right religion? That's their trump card. That is their biggest issue. How can you know that Christianity is true? How can you know that it's the only right religion? How can you say that it is superior to Islam and, and all the other faiths? Number one, there are many different religions in the world. Have you thoroughly experienced each one? Have you read all of their holy writings? Have you read the Koran? Your religious beliefs are merely a product of your experiences. Your beliefs are totally subjective. They're a part of your bringing. They're part of an up, uh, your background. Why are you a Christian? Well, part of it is because you grew, grew up in the United States. Why are you a Christian? Part of it is because you had a Christian home. But transports you to Asia? Where there's a, a Buddhist statue in every corner? How do you know you wouldn't be Buddhist? How do you know that you would ever even have read the Bible? So, what you believe and what you know is, is a product of your experiences. So, application. Number one, apologetics need to be done differently today. The old evidence that demands a verdict just doesn't work in a postmodern world. It's not acceptable. So, you need to realize that there's a different way of doing apologetics. What's that different way? Well, one example is that one of the most powerful witnessing tools in postmodernism are individual testimonies. Your personal testimony of what God has done in your life. How you came to faith. The changes that you experienced. You see, a powerful argument against postmodernism is the life of the Apostle Paul. Who grew up steeped in Judaism. Who knew nothing else but that. That was sold out to it. Committed 
fully to it, been instructed, been taught, persecuted the church. And all of a sudden, he changes dramatically. What's to explain that? He says it's his experience in seeing the risen Christ. Who can argue against that? Who can say that's not true? And how can you provide an explanation for his change in experience other than the reality of seeing the resurrected Lord? I'm going to do a lot more of that stuff in the future, but that's just to kind of whet your appetite. Number two, we must understand the questions that our college students are getting are different from the questions that we got so that we can prepare our young people. And not only that, so that we can be relevant. We can be relevant. There's a lot of statements about trying to make the Bible relevant. You don't make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. But the Bible is relevant because it speaks to the issues of our day. We make the Bible irrelevant when we speak to the issues of yesterday. The issues of today are not the issues of the Reformation. And you just go back and talk about the issues of the Reformation, it's going to be irrelevant to our culture, our society. That's not their questions. That's not what they are raising. We don't get to say, here's the question I want to answer. No, we've got to answer the question that's being asked. Politicians do that all the time. You know, they, they choose to make up the question that was asked. But we need to answer the question that's being asked. And the questions that are being asked today are different questions. So, number four. Conclusion. How is truth known and to what degree can it be known? Are these ideas friend or foe to Christianity? You see, there's both good and bad in modernism as it relates to truth, its knowability, and the way in which it's known. So let me look at each one. First, how is truth known in modernism? In modernism, truth is objective and discovered. Of course, the problem is that in Christianity, it is revealed. It's not going to be discovered. You've got to accept what is revealed. Number two, there is the expectation that one day in this life we will arrive at all truth. Therefore, we need to have all the answers. There is no such thing as a mystery. Truth is just one more discovery away. It's one more scientific truth to be unfurled. There is no explanation beyond the known laws of science. There is not a spirit world. There is not a God. All of those things are myths. There is a natural explanation for everything in life. That is a modernist point of view. And you can obviously see the challenges that that brings to Christianity. So you have to prove the existence of God. You have to prove the existence of a spirit world. Those kinds of things. Four, the idea of truth is a good thing. Truth is good in modernism. Truth should be pursued. Truth can be not only pursued, but apprehended. You can know what truth is. But the interesting thing about truth in postmodernism is, excuse me, in modernism is that it is primarily utilitarian. And that is truth serves a purpose. Truth 
needs to be applicable. Truth needs to be used. And so, truth is pursued because of its utilitarian role, because of its purpose. So, in modernism, you go to college in order to get a job. That's why you go. It's not for the pursuit of truth, per se. It's not for intellectual understanding. It's a means to an end. You want to know so you can use. You want to go to college so you can get a job. And knowledge in and of itself is useless without its proper application. So that in modernism, if you go to college and then you come out and get a job that wasn't in your field of expertise, guess what? You wasted your time at college. Because you didn't put it to good use. You didn't act upon what you learned. You wasted all that time. That is far, far different. Then an understanding knowledge is that, that it's good to have that college experience, whether you use it in your workplace or not. Just the better understanding to communicate, better understanding of truth is, is valuable. It is utilitarian. Utilitarian. How has that affected Christianity? In some extremely subtle ways. But let me highlight, I think, the most important way is that now, today, today being modernist, although we really live in a postmodern era, uh, the transition is slow. It's among the young people. Everybody sitting here today is pretty much a modernist. So that in preaching the Word of God, the most important thing becomes the application. What am I to do with this? How is this truth useful to me? Pastor, how can I tomorrow get up and put into practice what you're telling me tonight? How is it going to benefit my marriage? How is it going to promote my job security? How in some way am I going to materially or physically or emotionally benefit from what you're telling me? It better be relevant and relevant equals useful. And so, in modernist preaching, the application actually becomes more important than the exegesis of Scripture. It becomes less important to understand what the Bible says and more important to know, what should I do? And in modernity, Christians have no problem sitting through seminars in which the Bible is tucked away and nothing is said and everything's about how to have a better marriage. How to be a, a, a better leader in the life of the church. Practicality rules and reigns in modernism. One of the things that excites me is that's changing. That's changing. In modernism, science and math reign. In postmodernism, English and history reign. Philosophy reigns. There's a, a real shift in perspective. I love reading the Puritans. The Puritans fell out of disfavor. They're coming back. They're roaring back. I was excited because Thomas Manton's 22 volumes has finally come back into print. 
And I just got it. Just last week. Came in the mail. And I've been sitting down and, and reading Thomas Mann. I love it. I love it. And one of my kindred spirits is Cliff Boone. He loves the Puritans. He did his doctoral studies in uh, Flavel. And so we were at conference. And we were talking. And Cliff said to me, you've got to read this particular book by Dabney. He said, as I was reading this book, he said for a period of about five minutes, he said, I just put that book down and said, God, I'm ready to go. Take me. He just longed to be in the presence of God as he thought about who God was and the glory and the majesty of God. You see, you don't get that preaching in a modernist era. But with the Puritans, they had sermon after sermon on the the glory and the magnificence and beauty of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful to go away from a sermon and not simply say, as a result, how can I get a promotion at work? And go away and say, God, I'm ready to be in your presence. I long to know you more fully, more deeply. I think that's one of the strengths that we're going to experience in postmodernism. So, B, I, 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 forgive me, I rarely do this, but... I've already gone over. I'm going to go over more. Okay? I apologize. Uh, But not too much, because I rarely do it. Please, please be kind to me. Uh, I need another ten minutes. Okay? Can I I do that? And and if you need to go, I understand. Uh, You can leave. But uh, if you can stay, thank you. But if you need to go, no hard feelings. Uh, Bye-bye. Okay. So, how is truth known in postmodernism? In postmodernism, truth is subjective, subjective and projected upon reality. Here's an important idea. All searches for truth are tainted in postmodernism. There is no such thing in postmodernism as a real search for truth. We don't want to know the truth. We want to defend our position in postmodernism. Now, think with me how this has begun to affect our society. In modernism, truth is objective. And everybody wants the truth. So, we're all going to perform a scientific study. And as a result, we're going to have the truth. And we will live it out. Well, postmodernism says, (laughs) not quite like that. Because everybody has an agenda. Everybody has a starting point. And so, it's not objective. Now, we don't talk about these things, but we experience these things. So that today, who here has confidence in a pharmaceutical study that was done by the pharmaceutical company? Who has confidence in that? Who is going to rely upon the tobacco company to tell us whether or not those cigarettes really produce cancer? 
And you see, that understanding has been communicated to all research. It's all tainted. Why? Huge difference. In modernism, man is basically good and seeks and wants to know the truth. In postmodernism, it's very cynical. And man isn't basically good. And in that sense, postmodernism becomes a real friend to Christianity. Because the basic assumption is man is not good. And man does not seek the truth. Total depravity. There's none that understands. There's none that seeketh after God. All of that fits in a biblical framework extremely well. But look at three, because I'm running out of time. Three. Postmodernists are skeptical and distrustful concerning truth. Truth is oppressive and evil. And this is the greatest challenge for Christianity. Truth is oppressive. Meaning that there really is no such thing as objective truth. And so when we start talking about truth, we're talking about one person trying to impose their understanding, their commitment, their lifestyle, their philosophy of life on someone else. The very idea of truth is someone trying to prove superiority over against the experience of another. And so, truth really can't be known. You may have heard, as I say, it's really affecting English and, and philosophy and uh, uh, history. So, if you take a history class today, it's pretty common to hear such things as the victors have written the history. Anybody hear that? Have you heard that statement? Victors have written the history. The idea being that it's, it's one-sided. It, 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 it really is misleading. There's quite a bit of truth to that. Uh, the Indians, the American Indians, really got a raw deal in this country. Rarely do we think about it. Rarely in times past did our history books reveal the atrocities. Raise the whole questions of, was it right to transport people, to obliterate whole tribes? Those issues weren't even raised. Today they're raised. Loud and clear. The issues change. The concerns change. Truth is oppressive. Truth is evil. The idea that you are going to claim to have the truth is going to negatively impact other people is the idea in postmodernism. And so, Christianity is evil because it claims to have the truth. It's going to persecute. It's going to legislate. The whole idea of Christians being in power is frightening in our culture and our society. Because they're going to legislate their ideas. They're going to legislate their understanding of morality. They're going to take over. They're going to persecute because they say they have the truth. And therefore, I must submit so that truth is oppressive. It's evil. And Foucault, who is a great 
a French philosopher, philosopher and uh, proponent of postmodernism, says language itself is oppressive. That uh, we don't really use language to communicate. We use language more often to intimidate. So, how are you going to win an argument? How are you going to impress a person? By using language they don't know. Words they don't understand. Force them into submission. Because they can't rebut what you have to say because they don't even have a clue as to what you said. That's an example of pedantry. I chose that because I thought it was probably a word you didn't know. So it makes me look smart. It makes you look stupid. And I win the argument. Okay? Pedantry means the ostentatious show of knowledge. It's showing off. That's what I just did. Pedantry. But the idea is that, that that's common. That we really aren't interested in communicating truth. We're trying to win an argument. We're not objectively seeking what's right. We want to prove our agenda is the agenda that we should follow. So we're not really interested in truth. We're interested in winning. Is the concept in, in postmodernism. So the world looks really different. So that our talking about truth really sounds different. If you get nothing else from this than that, you've got a wealth of material. What you mean by truth and what our society understands by truth are worlds apart. It's good to know that. We don't abandon the biblical concept of truth. But maybe we need to talk about it in a different way. You see, because there's another word that is welcomed in postmodernism, and that is authenticity. Authenticity, genuineness, realness, openness, not hiding behind a facade, not pretending you know everything. Be willing to admit, I don't know, I don't understand, I don't have all the answers. That is authenticity, and that is raised to an incredibly high level in postmodernism. So, what's the answer? The Bible is incredibly authentic. All the patriarchs. You not only know their strengths and their weaknesses, you know their sins. You know their foibles. It's real. In its way in which it talks about the heroes of the faith. It doesn't just paint them like history books. So that George Washington never told a lie and always did the right things. And we know that wasn't really what George Washington was about. But the Bible is unlike that. The Bible is authentic. It's genuine. It's real. Well, i got so much more to say. and no time to say it. But that's probably a good place to stop. And next week, we're going to start looking at the Scriptures about how we can address some of the things in postmodernism. Thanks for hanging in there with me. Uh, let's pray. Our Father, uh, help us that this is not a waste of time, that it is useful, it is practical, uh, but in that practicality to see that simply knowing has its own value as well. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You are dismissed.